0: Good morning, everybody. So today, like I said before, we are finishing. Tonight, today is our last week in the uh, life of David's, thinking about the life of David. I think it's been a pretty good series. I'm very glad um, that we took this time to do this. Um, does anybody remember what the name of the series is? I think we've said it every week of the series. Huh? I've said it. Holy and faithful mercies. Look at that. You did. You did. But uh, uh, holy and faithful mercies. For special extra credit, do you know where I got that phrase from? No. (laughs) No. This... The, the, this I only said one time at the very beginning. It comes from Acts thirteen thirty-six 36, uh, or 34, actually, sorry. Um, and it is the translation of N.T. Wright. It's how N.T. Wright translates. It's when, when Paul is preaching to the Fi- city Fi- in Antioch, and he's talking about David, and he's talking about the corruption that David experienced, because David, like each and every one of us, died, right? Um, whereas, who didn't die? Or actually, I'm sorry. Who did die, but who defeated death? Jesus. So what Paul is saying is um, that I have given you the holy and faithful mercies, the holy promises uh, promised to David, that that through David there would be a line of kings that would one day lead to a forever kingdom, that would one day lead to someone being on the throne that has defeated death, that has overcame death, that has infused his people with resurrection power. Um, and so that's what it's, this is all about. But the interesting thing about David is that he died. He, 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 we look at him and he's like, oh, there's this really great biblical character. There's this really, um, it's really something special and there's really something unique about him. But what we're going to find out today is that David was a lot like each and every one of us. I I mean, I I hope that you all had um, a great Thanksgiving and are recovering well uh, from a a weekend of feasting and and family. Um, Our family actually had three Thanksgiving dinners this year, um, all of which were just fantastic times. We are very blessed um, to have family that we adore and just love to spend time with, um, and are able to, 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 to visit extended family. Uh, but as Jason mentioned last week, um, there are some for whom Thanksgiving or any other holiday isn't exactly something that you look forward to. Um, for many, holidays seem to highlight or seemingly mask uh, family difficulties. Perhaps the only thing that um, that does this with kind of Greater consistency is death, and the death of a loved one. Um, so today we're going to look at a text that sees King David on his deathbed. Given the role that David plays in the meta-narrative of Scripture, kind of the overarching narrative, the, the story of the Bible, we might expect the the chapters dealing with David's death to be filled with kind of poetic language. Um, David, uh, the kind of poetic language that maybe David offered to Saul and and to Jonathan when they died. It it might have been a moment for Israel to take stock of of who they were, who God was, and and what their future would look like or should look like. Even though there were many hints of this in the text for this morning, um, they are in large part just filled with good old-fashioned family feud. It gets to the point where David names his successor on his deathbed as his son Solomon. And David's last words, they're full of bitterness rather than joy. After his father's death, Solomon's first order of business is to have his rival stepbrother executed. But Solomon's tale is a story for another series. Today, we consider the details of David's death. And we'll use it to kind of say a few words about death in general, about how necessary it is. Uh, Bill Hybels, uh the pastor of Willow Creek, likes to say, uh, he likes to joke that the mortality rate is still hovering around 100%. <laughs> Eugene Peterson says, learning how to live necessarily involves a good deal of meditation on and consideration of death. If we don't give our full attention to death, but spend our lives avoiding the subject and obscuring it with euphemisms, we diminish our lives. Death, a denial of death, is avoidance of life. It's a thing that has potential, the potential to do some really weird things in the lives of of us and the lives of our friends and our family. And oftentimes we're not sure what to do with it. We're not sure how to handle this grief salad that we've been given that is often like topped off with significant doses of, of family dynamics and, and then there's some financial dynamics and of course then there's funeral arrangements and how are we going to sell this house and what are we going to do with mob's car and did dad ever actually write out a living will not to mention death of course reminds us of our own mortality it's no wonder that we have a tough go getting through times like this but then eventually you do get through it. And it may not be until some years later that you realize that this grief work, this lamenting that really needed to be done. I, I took my life in my hands on Wednesday afternoon and decided to go shopping at Wegmans. Um, it actually wasn't that bad. I, I, I got to have mozzarella sticks in the middle of it. Um, but... <laughs> There I was in the dairy section looking for just the right kind of sour cream that would be added to my mashed potatoes when it hit me. And it's not the first time that this has happened, but every time it happens, it's just as powerful. I, I was there, and I turned my head slightly, and then there it was. Esty Lauder from a woman nearby. The olfactory memory is powerful stuff and just for a moment my grandmother was still alive yelling at me for opening up the refrigerator what do you want what are you hungry can i make you something no i was just looking why would you open the refrigerator if you're just looking i don't know she died two and a half years ago she died in her sleep and even though she was in her mid-80s we didn't really see it coming we hadn't really prepared for it my dad was the one who found her and called me immediately and obviously upset. I was writing a paper for school when he called. I told him I'd leave first thing in the morning and I'd spend the next several days helping with whatever needed to happen, but the, for the moment, I was, I was writing a paper. Was it wrong to continue writing the paper? Was it wrong that I wanted to continue writing the paper? The next few days were filled with, with getting her affairs in order and my aunt's coming in from Texas. And, hey, you know, you know, young Joe's a minister now. He can do the funeral. Then I came to my senses and, and realized that I was still in Wegmans doing grocery shopping and she's been dead for two and a half years. Death is a powerful thing because life is a powerful thing. Peterson says no life is complete until there is a death Death sets limits. To be human is to die. By dying, we attest to our humanity. Death doesn't so much terminate our humanity as prove it. So for the past three months, we've considered the life of one of the most important figures in the Bible. We've heard about David being plucked from obscurity to be the one anointed king of God's chosen people. We've seen him threaten Saul and defeat Goliath and befriend Jonathan, run for his life, and rise to become king. We've heard him pray and lament over lost friends, pray in thanksgiving for, for God's faithfulness, pray in confession for egregious sin, and pray for the washing that only God can provide. David was a tremendous man, one through whom God would one day bring about a greater king of a forever kingdom. There are lots of things about David's life that we should emulate, and still lots of other things about his life that we should take as a cautionary tale. David was a tremendous man, but he was still a man. He was a human being a lot like you and I. When you consider the details of David's life, um, they should sound familiar. Authority, success, defeat, thanksgiving, family, transgression atonement that isn't david's story it's our story it's the human story david's story wasn't remarkable because he was some great bible character his story was remarkable because god was remarkable in that he decided to do something incredible through the life of someone who was just a lot like each of us the edge boys are with us today in service because uh, their teacher Tim Fails is out of state, attending the funeral of a close friend. You boys have uh, been with us uh, for a few of the sermons, and you've probably heard a, a ton about David in Sunday school over the years, how David slew Goliath and became Jonathan's best friend, how David became king and was one of Jesus' ancestors. Guys, don't ever fall for the lie that says that all of the great things happened back then and back there in the Bible for guys like David. Don't fall for the lie that says that God can't still do great things in the lives of men who follow him, men like you and I. I decided to become a pastor not because I believed I was anything special, but because I believe Jesus is. Whatever time, talent, and treasure that I possess is all a gift from God anyway, so the way I figure it, I should just devote my life to Him. For me, that looks like being a pastor, but for you, it could look a lot differently. The point is this, David is not an example of someone that you could never be, he's an example of someone who looks an awful lot like you. Sure, it was 3,000 years ago in a land far, far away, but at the heart of this story, that the heart of my story is just a boy who grew up to be a man facing daily choices whether to follow God or not. At times, David made some really great choices. At times, he made horrible choices. And at times, he made choices that kind of seemed like a good idea at the time, but then in reality, it didn't really turn out to be the right choices after all. Such is life. The question is not, how do I live the perfect life? The right question is, have I committed this life for whatever it is? Have I committed it to God? When I've done that, I know that my successes, they're sweetened because I could feel Him working in my life. And my failures, even my failures have purpose because I've trusted God with their redemption. Have I committed my life to God? That's that's our question this morning because just like David, one day it will come to an end, hopefully not for a very long time. But for David, it came when he was an old man, advanced in years. The story tells us that while David was on his deathbed, he had a hard time getting warm. His servants came and piled blankets after blanket after blanket, all and he just couldn't get warm. And you kind of get this image in your head of this like old man lying in bed with like a mountain of blankets on him and his servants are like, hey, uh, sire, are you warm yet? And he's like, not yet. Bring more blankets for the king. Blankets didn't do the trick. So they get another idea. They figure that the best way to warm up the king is to find someone to snuggle with them. They search the land for the greatest snuggler. <laughs> they search the land for this young girl that they thought was beautiful, and they bring her to the king's bed. Her name was Abishag, Abishag, the Suman Abishag becomes the king's attendant. If you, any of you uh, my my wife and I are pregnant, uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, maybe maybe this is a name we could consider. You know, Abishag, great. <laughs> I can't even say it. I practiced it for like a half an hour the other day. A bit, a So she becomes the king's attendant. She serves him and tries to keep him warm, but the story specifically says the king didn't have sex with her. David's servants had hoped that putting this young girl in, in his bed would kind of awaken his vigor, but it was to no avail. The king was very old, and he was hours from death. So rather than his family rush to his side and properly lament the life of this great king of Israel, they and all instead just jockeyed for power. His eldest surviving son, Adonijah, assumed he'd be made king. Adonijah starts gathering military support. He, He prepared himself chariots and horsemen. He had He appointed 50 men to run before him, and he rallies some of his followers' generals to his side. He tries to get religious support. He gathers the priest uh, Abiathar to his side and and sacrifices sheep and oxen and fatted cattle. And he he tries to get family support, gathering most of his brothers and and the religious officials of Judah. Adonijah is making a play for the throne, and if David wants to do something about it, he's going to have to act fast. The prophet Nathan, remember Nathan, kind of the prophet pastor of the David story, sees what Adonijah is doing and instead of speaking directly with the king about it, decides to go to Bathsheba instead. You know, I don't know this. I'd have to check it up, by the way. But I mentioned David, especially with a lot of kids, in the, or Nathan, but there's a lot of kids in the room. It's interesting that we have a picture of a prophet. Um, and you might think in your head like an old man with a you know, white beard and like this is a prophet. But if you read on to the, the, the story from here, Nathan sticks around. So what would it look like for Nathan to actually have been younger than David? Yeah, like what if, it would have, what if he was actually like, like we have in our head like this old wise figure. What if Nathan was actually a young man speaking words of wisdom, speaking prophetic words to the king? Anyway, that just came to me. So, um, David or Adonijah is, is, is trying to gather support, um, and he sees what Adonijah is doing. Uh, Nathan sees what Adonijah is doing, and instead of speaking directly to the king about it, he decides to go to Bathsheba instead. Bathsheba, you'll recall, is the mother of Solomon, the second son born to her after the first child, uh, after her first child with David died. Nathan says to her, have you heard what Adonijah's up to? He's shouting it all over town that he's going to be the next king. If you want Solomon to be named king instead, um, you'll want to speak to David right quick and have him named Solomon, his successor, before he dies. So Nathan and Bathsheba come up with this kind of seemingly unnecessary plan to bring this all up to the king, but apparently David goes right along with it and names Solomon his successor. And Bathsheba thanks him and bows her face to the ground and says, may my Lord King David live forever. Then David summons the priests and the prophets and says this, take with you the servants of your Lord. Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule. Bring him down to, to Gihon. There let the priest Sadok and the prophet Nathan anoint him over Israel, king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall go up following him. Let him enter and sit on my throne. He shall be a king in my place, for I have anointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. See, the religious leaders do what they're told, and they announce Solomon as King David's successor. And the people went up following Solomon, playing on pipes, rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth quaked with their noise. And Adonijah... Who was still in the middle of this now meaningless celebration? Asked the son of one of the priests, Hey, what's going on? And as the guy is recounting how the city is in an uproar, um, not over how Adonijah is king, but now how David has made Solomon king, and and they kind of recount all the details to him, um, all of Adonijah's guests kind of like slowly start like moving away from him. Later on, Adonijah attempts to make a play for the throne by asking Solomon for Abishag's hand in marriage. He even gets Bathsheba in on it, but Solomon has Adonijah executed. Picking up in chapter 2 of uh, 1 Kings, when David's time drew near, he charged his son Solomon, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, be courageous. Where does that that remind you of? Does that remind anybody of anything? What is that? Joshua, yeah. Be strong, be courageous, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then the Lord will establish His word that He spoke concerning me, if your heirs take heed to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts and with all of their soul, there shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. It would have been great if David stopped there. But the second half of his speech is actually advice as to who Solomon should kill and shouldn't kill. It's not exactly like stirring last words. And then the last line of the Davidic narrative is found in verse 10. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. That's it. A rather sad and lackluster end to a really fantastic story. Everyone in the story seemed to have more important things to do than deal with the reality of David's death and treat him with the dignity he deserved or even the dignity he didn't deserve. Even David himself seems more preoccupied with settling accounts rather than spending his closing hours with people he genuinely cared for, spending his closing hours doing business with his soul and with his God. Actually, the saddest thing of all seems to be that it is unclear at the end whether he genuinely cared for anyone at the end, even himself. The end of the book of First Chronicles adds a bit more to the story um, and gives it a kind of slightly more of a positive tone with, with David thanking God and blessing Israel. But, but still it would seem that David's life was just like any other life and that there came a day when it not only ended, but also gave way. It gave way to something new. David's family spent their time treating David's death as a problem to be solved or an opportunity to be seized or a difficulty to be negotiated, there was no space for lament. No space to reflect on this great thing that God had done in the life of this little shepherd boy. No time to express love and gratitude for the role David had played in the grand scheme of things. And later, Later traditions would kind of pick up the slack, attributing many psalms to David's hand, and and the life of David became something in time um, that would be this powerful sign of how God would fulfill his covenant promises to Israel and to the world through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So if you recall, we began this series with the words of the Apostle Paul, preaching in the book of Acts, who says, As to his raising him from the dead, meaning as to God's raising Jesus from the dead, no more to return corruption, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy promises made to David. Therefore, he has also said in another psalm, you will not let your holy one experience corruption, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, died. He was laid beside his ancestors and experienced corruption, but he whom God raised up experienced no corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. But this Jesus, everyone who believes, is set free from all those sins from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. The story of Jesus, it's a story of the defeat of death itself. And not only that, it is an invitation to live into Christ's life. It's an invitation to live into Christ's resurrection power. We're going to celebrate communion, the Mass, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Communion is a tradition intended to help us never forget that Jesus was the one who faced death, who looked it in the eye, who entered the tomb, and then came out the other side. Our communion table at New Hope is open to all those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. The bread is unleavened, the red is wine, and the white is grape juice. First, though, um, could you please stand and recite with me, as uh, churches throughout the centuries have done, in the reading of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father,